Welcome to Brody Sports Talk, episode 80. This is Caleb Walgren. Today we're going to talk about the Super Bowl 55 recap, our final power rankings for the 2020 NFL season, and get into team grades for each of the teams of the NFC East. Let's go. Welcome, welcome. Like I said, it's episode 80 of Brody Sports Talk. I am joined by the one, the only, Sean Morgan. He is back. I am here. For better or for worse, I have returned. He sounds a lot better than his voice message last week, so that's all I can really I I would like to take this time to formally apologize and I don't know if any of any of our, our Brody Sports Talk listeners also listen to Gunners and Blues. I actually mentioned on, I can't remember what episode it was, whichever one timing-wise coincides, that I was in no way, shape, or form prepared or ready uh, emotionally, physically, mentally to record. And uh, if you couldn't tell that from the voice message I left, then you're terrible at reading people. I was totally out of it and it was a good thing that i decided to step away just for just for a little bit but hey i'm here let's let's talk super bowl recap let's talk some nfc east team grades and let's do my favorite segment again because that's always what i'm about so speaking of the super bowl recap the way we kind of have it for you today is i somewhat picked four game topics and then the halftime show and we're going to do two topics, halftime show, and two more topics. So it's kind of going to be like a, a full NFL game in the recap. There we go. Okay. So, okay. That's uh, what you did. First things first, uh, I, I'm going to call attention to ourselves a little bit because I can. Uh, but Shaq Barrett won the battle at in the pass rushing game. We actually talked about him last week. This was one of the ones where I was like, Shaq Barrett, he's got Mike Remmers. He's, a, you know, the backup. He's going from right to left tackle. It's going to be such an interesting position because if Shaq Barrett gets pressure, this game is going to look a whole lot different. And then all of a sudden we see that Shaq Barrett had one sack and four other quarterback hits. Patrick Mahomes, I believe that they said he scrambled on 38 pass plays and Tom Brady scrambled on five. There's a bit of a difference there. Just a, just a smidge. Uh, so, in general, Shaq Barrett, JPP, that pass rush was sick the whole game. Oddly enough, we didn't talk a ton about the leading sacker in the game. Sacker? Sack. I, I'm going to stick with it. Sacker. Sack, sack, sack artist. Sack artist. Uh, that would be Atomican Sue. Sack, sack connoisseur. Sackasaur? Sackasaur. Absolutely. I'm, I'm okay with it. Uh, but Indominus Sue had one and a half sacks in the game. He was creating some pressure as well. And basically, whatever the Chiefs were doing on the offensive line, it, it just did not work. Uh, Sean, I know I kind of ran with this one. What, what do you kind of want to add about Shaq Barrett or the pass rush versus the O line situation? Because 
it was it was one that I thought the Chiefs were at least going to do better, but you, you would have thought they looked right. bad. You you would have thought for me, right? The biggest thing is just the impact of Shaq Barrett, and I think the residual effect that that had on the rest of the defensive line and the overall pass rush. When you have somebody who is constantly disruptive both positionally and as far as just like squeezing the offense on that side, forcing those scrambles. It is going to make everybody else on that defensive line look that much better. So I I don't know if it was necessarily just exclusively that matchup, Um, but JPP also looked fantastic. By the way, he's uh, he's two and oh in the Super Bowl. I thought that was kind of kind of interesting. Uh, so now you know, uh, NFL GMs, if you want to uh, guarantee that you're going to win the Super Bowl, you can't guarantee you'll make it. But if you want to guarantee you'll win the Super Bowl, uh, that's who to have on your roster when you make it. But no, I was incredibly impressed, I think, with that entire defensive line overall and just the amount of consistent disruption. It's one thing to go through and you know play well and rattle an offensive offensive line, rattle the offense entirely. Uh, you know, for maybe a quarter, or, and then you get tired toward the end. Uh, but they continued to dominate huge stretches of this football game to the point where, you know, the Chiefs really had nothing else to give. And let's go ahead and keep moving forward. And oddly enough, my comments about the second, that come up second are about the, how the Chiefs failed so badly in the second quarter. It was ugly. Uh, the Patriots, or the not the Patriots, it felt like the Patriots, <laughs> but the Buccaneers got their first touchdown right before the end of the first quarter, and they were up 7-3 at the end of one. But then when you got to the end of the second quarter and it was 21-6, to kind of similar to the NFC championship game, it very much felt like, well, dang, this is the Bucs game. And, and it was. Uh, what a complete meltdown uh, for the Chiefs. I, I have not seen a team like in the Super Bowl that poorly disciplined. Uh, I mean, penalties were just so significant, and you would think, like, I, as somebody who has you know supported Andy Reid, you know, all throughout his career, sometimes his teams have these games, and they never release to recover from really like if, if penalties start going, you know, against them. They're just, it starts to get to the point where they, they just don't, they don't stop. It just is cascades over and over and over again. Sorry, I interrupted. Keep going. No, you're good. So, I mean, the Chiefs punted. The Buccaneers got all the way down to the goal line, ended up turning it over on downs at the goal. The Chiefs hadn't imploded yet, but the Chiefs got the ball. They ended up punting, had a great punt, but then there was a penalty. And this was like the beginning of the just complete rolling and falling apart. Because at the end of this, instead of the Buccaneers getting the ball at the Tampa Bay 27, the penalty forced a repunt and they got it at the Kansas City 38 because the punter shanked it. Townsend looked completely over his head because the Chiefs don't punt very much. No. (laughs) All of a sudden, having a punter was completely needed. So what happens? The Patriots, go, or not the, I say again. the Patriots again. Man, there, are no, there were no talk about the Patriots in the Super Bowl. So 
the Buccaneers go out. It looked like Matthew had an interception, but there was a penalty. Again, they force a fourth down. What happens? The Chiefs line up offsides, another first down, another touchdown that goes to Gronk. Then the Chiefs finally go down and kick a field goal, and it's 14 to 6. And I'm like, okay, 14 to 6 at the half. This isn't yeah, going to be so bad. Be, be recoverable. You know, the Bucks get the ball. Hey, let's go ahead and do that running back draw up the middle. To me, I, I would almost rather see quarterbacks take a knee than the meaningless running back draw. Chiefs are like, yeah, we're going to take a timeout. Um, you're struggling to move the ball, and Mahomes is running around for his life, and your defense one just of the most. totally choked. So they call the timeout, but That's then the one. more egregious one is them calling it with 44 seconds left mm-hmm. after they got it to a third and two. Yeah. As I say, that, that, that series of timeouts was some of the most egregiously dumb, overconfident, arrogant things that I have seen from a football team. I get it. You're the Kansas City Chiefs. You have had a historically powerful offense and are able to fire on multiple cylinders against just about everybody that you've gone up against. But guess what? That hasn't happened this half. But you still think, you know what? We're going to put ourselves in a position to score. I, I, I think that you lick your chops there. You, you got too greedy, and you should have been licking your wounds and getting off the field. Then, you know, they got the first down, and then I still just don't get it. The, the Bucks continued to take shots down the field in key situations. They didn't have – they only had one timeout left. So what do they do? They bomb one to Mike Evans down the left side of the field, you could argue that this pass interference probably shouldn't have been called. They kind of tripped. But Evans was past him. I, I didn't love the call, but I didn't hate the call because Evans should have just caught the ball and ran it into the end zone for a touchdown. But, you know, he hit Breland. It didn't trip Evans up. Breland then tripped up and took him out. So... I mean, in general, you could look at some of the flags, especially in the first half, and be like, yeah. But I feel like, you know what? The refs actually called stuff that they saw, unlike other games. Uh, uh, hit, hit. Uh. <laughs> I, I, I've, seen, I've seen so many Chiefs fans on social media, like, running these refs through the ringer. And we've, we've talked about how I feel about ref decisions and that, you know, yeah, you're going to expect to have – a couple of them go against you, but you need to be able to win the game outside of, you know, these types of things. And I mean, point blank, I, at no point in time, did you ever feel that the chiefs were going to be winning this football game really for me outside of maybe the first uh, couple of minutes. I never really got uh, anything even remotely resembling a sense that they were going to, to get the job done. So, I mean, they got the touchdown to AB on that drive, 21-6. to six. It, it wasn't interesting after that. Um, let's go ahead and talk about the halftime show, Sean. Uh, I, so it was the weekend. Yes, it was. And, and it was on the weekend. And <laughs> Okay. I like it. I, I, 
I think my, I mean, my comments about it are that it definitely felt like a production. I, I wish I could have heard more of the weekend singing because I think that he did sing well enough. I, but I also felt like, did it feel somewhat like I was listening to one of his albums? I don't know. I don't listen to that much of his stuff, but for the most part, the things that I would have said I knew him for, like I Can't Feel My Face or Blinding Lights, I understood him during those parts just like I did when I heard them, you know, on playlists and things like that. Uh, I definitely enjoyed him going up and down the stage in the middle of the stage, having a stage that opened up. It all felt very different. And I think that while it didn't feel like a typical Super Bowl halftime show, it, it definitely felt more theatrical. Oh, like it was a presentation. And I, I was okay with that. I just think that a lot of the gripes is it didn't feel like a normal Super Bowl halftime show. And how can you? Because you can't really have a stage in the center and have people coming up and at the stage. It's not like he's a super singer where he's going to just be at the front of the stage high-fiving all of the fans that are adoring him. Like, that's, that's yeah, not that's who not, the weekend that's is. not his style anyway. Uh, I, so let me go ahead, and this is probably where I want to be ranting the most, I think, during this segment. So I'm going to go ahead and preface this by saying I am a weekend stan. And I was really excited when he was, when I first heard that he was going to be playing the Super Bowl. And I was excited to see what it is that he was going to do with this opportunity. He ended up spending over $7 million of his own money to go into what it is that we saw. And I was actually incredibly impressed with the theatrics, with his presence, um, and with the actual arrangement. The audio mixing was not great. And I feel like that was the biggest letdown for me. Uh, we got a fantastic set. Uh, I still can, like, I even talking about this now, the opening of Starboy very blatantly references cocaine use. And I expect it, again, a lot of his songs do reference that. I was very surprised that they included, you know, that part of the uh, of the opening verse and nobody batted an eye. But to be fair, uh, can't feel my face is also a very blatant cocaine reference. And it won a Nickelodeon, you know, kids music award. So that just goes to show how often people actually listen to lyrics. Uh, I know a lot of people also gave him grief over the whole uh, after hours aesthetic that he's been doing during 2020. Uh, with him, you know, the the fake plastic surgery, basically the fake injury thing, uh, you know, with his face looking a lot different. That was that, those were, that was prosthetic makeup, just as a heads up. Uh, and then the whole everybody being wrapped up. I've seen the memes. It's he's a weird dude, right? He legitimately is a very very odd guy, uh, but he knows how to uh, exude his persona on stage and in his music. It's very authentic, and the singing I thought was great. Like I said, I, I do wish the audio mixing would have been better, but uh, Abel's one of the best live singers that you will hear because he is that talented. His voice is that talented. He has that good of a, of a control over it. 
and I wasn't that bothered by the fact that it was different. I really expected him to come out and have something that was very much like what we saw. And if you think back to some halftime shows, you know, in years past, for one, do you remember last year was Maroon 5? And that was one of the lamest, dullest, was it two years ago? I thought it was yeah, last, last year. year was uh, J-Lo and Shakira. Oh, that was that forgettable then. Um, you know, just, just a few, I just remember how bad the Maroon 5 one was, right? Adam Levine taking off his shirt. Nobody wanted to see that. And it was just so limp and weak and just, ugh, right? It was very Maroon 5-ish. Uh, and, you know, you look back at, you know, like when The Who came on, they, they were bad. Um, honestly, like Bruce Springsteen was probably one of my more memorable, like older artists that came out. Um, it's because the boss always puts out an amazing show no matter what. So for me, this does rank pretty high when I look back at, you know, some super, like some halftime shows from the past. Uh, I would have, again, loved to have heard it a little bit better in the audio mix. But, you know, I had, I had no grief or qualms with it otherwise. Let's all just be thankful that it wasn't the Black Eyed Peas, okay? Oh, man. <laughs> that, was, that was one oh, of the worst Oh, God, I'd forgotten about that. Ever. I had forgotten about that. You're welcome. Uh, doing that anyway uh i know we talked about coaching before the super bowl as well i gotta give a huge shout out to todd bowles i know we already talked about shaq barrett but todd bowles is an aggressive defensive play caller typically he had played against patrick mahomes early in the year tyreek hill went off i think i mentioned it in the pregame episode with like 263 yards and three touchdowns like it was sick Todd Bull said, yeah, we're not blitzing. We can get pressure. And they did. Uh, you got to give kudos to, like I said, the, the D line, the outside linebackers and the pressure that they were able to get. And I have to say that this is definitely some of the most underrated defensive players. Devin White looked out of his mind good. Uh, Levante David matched up fairly well with Travis Kelsey, considering Travis Kelsey, if you look at the numbers, had a good game, but he did not have a good game. <laughs> um, I don't think that was Sean, was there any part of the game plan that you thought kind of stood out or maybe if you want to take it a different way, like a coaching game plan that you thought suffered? No, I actually think you kind of hit on one of the ones I did want to mention and the lack of a blitz. And that comes from, I think, this very good read on what he felt that that D-line could do against a, uh, a rather haphazard Chiefs offensive line. And that I, I believe that Bowles was ready to start mixing up the blitz if he ever needed to, if, you know, Biennemi and that Chiefs offense, and I mean, to a greater extent, Andy Reid, were able to get the job done and or if Mahomes started to you know, Mahomes it up and like take advantage of a potential greater amount of time to throw if, you know, that, that front four weren't really getting that type of pressure. That never happened. So I feel like, you know, Bowles was probably, you know, foot on the pedal ready to go if he needed to change things up. And he had the confidence just to continue to stick with it, to stick with it. Because I know sometimes you see, and this, is, this happens in not just in, you know, the NFL, this happens in a lot of sports 
when you have a strategy that's seeming like it's working, you start asking yourself, okay, do we need to start mixing it up? Are they going to start predicting that this is what we're doing? And do we need to preemptively, you know, they, they, they psych themselves out, right? They, they game plan themselves out of their own game plan. And I was very impressed with the fact that that did not happen. And I was just as equally shocked on the other side of the ball that the Chiefs weren't really able to do anything about it. There was, there was never really this, you know, this break in, hey, what we're doing is not working at all. It just goes to show the talent that, you know, the Bucks have on defense and what they were able to actually go and able to actually, that Tom Brady speech that we've been hearing about must have been something very special uh, because I've never seen a team like that motivated that was not really that highly regarded coming into the playoffs. Uh, And I, I I agree with you. Uh, And my big question mark was one that I've seen circulating on Twitter a little bit the past few days is did Brady really deserve MVP in this game? And I think that my answer ends up coming back to yes. I've thought about no a few times, but where I put no, people tend to be coming in with multiple answers. And I don't think that any of them is a true fit for one person that you can pick. Who, who had a great game? If you're looking at offense, you've got Leonard Fournette, 20 touches, like 130-something yards and a touchdown. That's great. Gronk, of course, with his two catches to get the ball rolling. On defense, you have Devin White with 10 tackle or 12 tackles, two for loss, and a pass defense. You've got someone like Indomitian Sue with one and a half sacks or Shaq Barrett with the sack and four quarterback hits. There's not a certifiable, oh my goodness, this player took the game over in such a way that you should say this doesn't go to Brady. I, I loved how the defense played. I loved how I agree. many of the players stood out. I just don't think that it was a, oh, wait, Brady threw for three of the touchdowns and what helped get the game pulled away. <laughs> Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. He's the MVP. I think what you have to look at, and I mean, this has been talked to death, but what you have to look at is the reputation that Brady brings in and the fact that yes, there were a lot of fantastic players on Tampa Bay's defense that were standouts, but not more so than anybody else. And this is ultimately a team that doesn't get there unless Tom Brady is at the helm. It's point blank. And so I looked at him winning this as a one, he did everything he needed to do on his side of the ball to win the game. He legitimately did. There wasn't enough for me on the opposite side where I'm like, okay, you know, that single player did everything that they needed to do for Tampa to win the game. It was a culmination of, you know, a, a big group effort. And if there was one person who should have gotten MVP, it was somebody who's not eligible for it. That's Todd Bowles. 
So, you know, uh, keep it, keep it in the hands of Brady. That doesn't bother me at all. Some of it's Brady haters too. And I will admit that I don't have a lot of love lost for him, especially being, you know, uh, a Tennessee boy. Uh, I was always on the Peyton Manning train, but I can't, you know, dispute or refute, you know, the, the greatness of Tom Brady and what he's accomplished during his career. And I feel this is a fantastic capstone for him. It better be a capstone, man. It better be a capstone. Retire, dude. Retire. Go. Go away. Um, I do have to throw out just to kind of close up the Super Bowl. The players that scored touchdowns. Gronk, Antonio Brown, wanted Fournette. All, All of them joined sure the team you. after Brady joined. Gronk wasn't going to come out of retirement to join no. anyone else. Brown was troubled and I think they said Brady went to the front office and pushed to get him. Leonard Fournette got cut by the Jags. He goes, Oh, I'm going to go over here where there's Brady. Yeah. I don't like Florida. It was quite clear. If nothing else, players want to play with stars. Getting Brady as a free agent was the biggest thing that the bucks could have done. And they reaped the rewards of it. That's all you can say. Uh, Sean, are you ready to go with the power rankings? It is time, boys and girls and all in between. Let's talk NFL power rankings, something we haven't been able to talk about in, uh, I don't know, like four weeks. It's been so long. It's been so long. Well, what we've decided to do is rather than give you a all too early power rankings, which is what I've seen pretty much every other media outlet do, we are going to give you our very, very special Brody Sports Talk post-Super Bowl power rankings. This is how we felt the teams ended the year for those that made the postseason and those that did not. And, of course, heading into next season, we will give you an early power rankings, but that is not the time. And... If you are new to our power ranking segment, maybe you just started listening to the podcast within the last four weeks, we break everything down into four tiers. So four groups, uh, 32 teams total. Uh, We split them into uh, a playoff tier, which uh, I mean, at this point, uh, usually for teams who are trying to make the playoffs, uh, but this will be teams that did make the playoffs. We have our aspiring tier. Uh, These are teams that had tried to make the playoffs and some of them did but they just kind of panned out or didn't pan out uh the wavering tier teams that uh, you know they didn't quite get the job done for multiple reasons and then the basement tier uh you know they got to look forward to the draft so without further ado let's run it down playoff tier one through eight coming in at number one nobody's surprised super bowl winners tampa bay buccaneers two kansas city chiefs three buffalo bills four green bay packers Five, New Orleans Saints, six, Baltimore Ravens, seven, Cleveland Browns, and coming in at number eight, the Los Angeles Rams. So normally with our power ranking segment, we like to ask, you know, the respective hosts, hey, here's a whatever question about a team that is in this particular tier. We're going to be asking the same question for all four tiers. And that is of the eight teams that I just talked about, who is going to have the best 2021-2022 season. Caleb, we'll start with you. Who do you think is going to have the best season out of these eight powerhouse teams? 
I'm going to go to the well. They say it looks like Brady's going to return. I'm going to say the Bucks are going to start off. And uh, I think that they're a clear favorite in the NFC South, especially with uh, Brady's presumed retirement. Don't go against Brady and the defending champs if you can help. It. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, for me, it's, it's the Chiefs. I, I feel like they... You know, they, they stand uh, very, very firmly at the top of the conference and the gulf between them and I think the rest was pretty evident this season, both during the regular season and postseason. So I would expect more of the same until Andy Reid lets me down. I'm going to continue to put my trust there. Uh, let's talk aspiring tier teams nine through 16. Uh, coming in number nine, Indianapolis Colts, 10, Pittsburgh Steelers, 11, Tennessee Titans, 12, Seattle Seahawks, 13, the Washington Placeholders, 14, Miami Dolphins, 15, Chicago Bears, and 16, Arizona Cardinals. All right. I like that. <laughs> the Washington Placeholders? <laughs> yeah. I heard that, uh, and I just, I that's what I'm going to continue calling them until they actually receive a name. Uh, so same question. Uh, I'll actually go ahead and, and take this one. Uh, I think the Cardinals are going to be the most improved team, uh, or is going to do the best out of this group. Uh, I feel like the rest really have a few notches that, uh, are going to take away in my opinion. Um, there's a lot of question marks and uncertainties, and I feel that the cards have the most to gain. Uh, and maybe it's just me again, putting a little bit too much faith in them that yeah, this was the season that I thought they were going to break out. Uh, but I, I do think that they will, they will do the best. If, if anything, I think maybe the Colts uh, could, could be on the, on the cusp of, of some greater things. What about you? Uh, it's a team that I had a lot of belief in all year. And it's another one that didn't make the playoffs. I'm going to say Miami is going to be a team that to watch Brian Flores in that defense was outstanding. You get year two of Tua, so he should hopefully bounce back and just look a little bit more electric. They're getting a new offensive system put in. Any offensive system should be better than what they did this past season. So I think that the Dolphins are a team to that will rise. I can't disagree there. I can't disagree. Uh, just before we move on to the wavering tier, a, a quick question for you. Uh, what about a, uh, a Carson Wentz led bears team? Do you think that they would be, uh, they're going to achieve great things next year? I am curious. Cause I know they, they would have D Filippo and he's worked with Wentz. He's mm -hmm. uh, got the upgrade, I believe from quarterbacks coach to pass game coordinator, whatever that means. Uh, <laughs> it means you're not a positional coach and yeah. you're game planning, I guess. Um, I think that it would be intriguing because, but I think that you would still see some of the same issues. I think part of what bothered Wentz this year was the lack of offensive line and the coaching issues. And I don't know if you put him in a Chicago situation where the coach is under fire and you still don't have an offensive line that it's going to be significantly better. What are you talking about? I'm sure it'll be fine. I'm sure it'll be fine. Let's, uh, let's move on down to the wavering tier. Uh, these are teams 17 through 24 coming in at number 17, 
the Los Angeles Chargers, rest in peace, Marty Schottenheimer. Uh, number 18, Las Vegas Raiders, 19, San Francisco 49ers, 20, New England Patriots, 21, Minnesota Vikings, 22, New York Giants, 23, Dallas Cowboys, and rounding out at number 24, the Carolina Panthers. All right, same question. Who uh, who do you think does that? Actually, you know what? Let's, let's mix it up. Let's mix it up. I lied. We're mixing it up. Who do you think improves the most in 2021? Not necessarily does the best, but improves the most. If you say the Dallas Cowboys, I am dropping out of this call. <laughs> I am not going to say the Dallas Cowboys. I, I'm going to go with the Chargers. I know that they were the top team in the tier. And I think that part of why they're the top team is because of how they close out the season. Uh, Justin Herbert looked good. They got rid of Anthony Lynn and whatever the heck was happening with that offense. <laughs> and I think that Staley is going to improve that defense from year to year. And I'm looking for the Chargers to potentially be a double-digit win team and make a fight for the playoffs, similar to what we saw out of the Dolphins this past year. Uh, I'm going to uh, do our our good friend uh, Joey a favor, and I'm going to say the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, this is a team that really got hamstrung by injuries. <laughs> and I don't feel that they're, it's going to be as devastating uh, in 2021. And I also feel that they're incredibly well coached and that that roster is still pretty decent. So this is a team that is capable under the right circumstances of getting a double digit win total. And they just have to, you know, figure out the question mark uh, at the quarterback position as to whether or not, you know, they, the Jimmy G's the right fit long-term or what things, what things will look like. Um, uh, I do want to just say the 49ers worry me a little bit losing Sala, And I know that they lost some offensive and defensive coaches and I want to see how they look. I trust Shanahan. Yeah. That's, that's I just really want to see how what... it kind of looks as they come back. Do they still look the same on defense with D'Amico Ryan's going from linebacker coach to DC? I think Shanahan trusts it. I think that they kind of trust what they have. I just, I want there's, to see a few always, games before I'm like, yeah, yeah, let me go ahead and push that. There's always a question mark. Well, let's move on to the basement tier. Uh, teams 25 through 32. Coming at 25, Cincinnati Bengals, 26, Denver Broncos, 27, Atlanta Falcons, 28, Philadelphia Eagles, 29, Detroit Lions, 30, Houston Texans, 31, New York Jets, and at number 32, the Jacksonville Jaguars. If you could pick one team that you thought is going to leave the basement here in 2021. Who is it going to be? I'm going with the Falcons. Uh, I think that Arthur Smith was a home run hire. I, I know that we were big on him from mm -hmm. even when we talked about him. Took my answer. Hey, you. Uh, <laughs> in general, and it's not like the Falcons offense was bad. It's no. that they needed to turn around their defense. And so who do they go with? Dean Pease, he's, you know, been with the Titans, the Ravens, the Patriots. He's been all over the place. And I think that he's a, a veteran who's going to know what he wants and who's going to be able to 
just do better than what they've been seeing out of that defense for years. Also, they've got to get better at situational football. Don't don't sit there and watch a football <laughs> go past. Like they lost games in so many ridiculous ways this no, past season. True. They they were probably one of the teams that had the thinnest margin of error from being what a five win team like they were maybe a six win team. I don't remember where they finished exactly to like a eight or nine win team. They could have easily been a little bit higher with just cutting down a few mistakes. They could have been a playoff contender if they would have actually closed out a few games the way that they should have closed them out. Uh, rather than try and justify a position for any of these other teams, I'm just going to concur with you because really to me, the Falcons stand out as a, as a team who really should have done more in 2020. And I don't see of a reason why 2021 isn't going to be where they do that. Fantastic hire personnel is still there. Uh, Players are still, you know, just as solid Uh, Now they just don't have, they don't have the same excuses, I think, or maybe not even see excuses, the same reasons that they did before to let everyone down. So that is our official end of season Brody Sports Talk NFL power rankings. If you agree, great. If not, well, uh, tough, because that's what we think. And... Well, I, maybe I'm being a little cocky, but I think that what we think is pretty important, right? Matters. It matters. Uh, there, there's a reason they're the best power rings on the planet. Exactly. And universe, even, I believe. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and pause. We'll be right back in a few moments with the NFC East team grades. Welcome back as we get ready to embark on a eight-week journey through our NFL team grades for the 2020 season. We are going to do this division by division. I kind of went and looked at each division, figured out how many wins each division had, and then went, let's start with the ones with the least, and we'll get to the ones with the, the most wins. So uh, we're probably first. going to have some, some harsh grades here at the beginning as we look at the NFC East today. Uh, we have four general categories, and then we'll finish with an overall grade. Uh, So let's go ahead and we're starting with the Eagles. They went four, 11 and one. We went from Carson Wentz might be the best quarterback in the division. And Doug Peterson's the only returning coach to Carson Wentz might be getting out of Philadelphia and Doug Peterson lost his job. So (laughs) that is a sign for how the Eagles season went. Bit of a departure. Uh, So the first category we have is expectations versus reality. Uh, Part of that we are basing off of the win total that we saw at the beginning of the year. I pulled it up on DraftKings as they had an excellent tool to be able to see how teams fared compared at the end of the season. Uh, The Eagles were expected to get nine and a half wins and they got four. I gave them a, and I thought the Eagles were going to for sure win this division this year. I gave them an F on expectations versus reality because my expectations were high and their reality was low. Uh, They didn't even beat the Bengals. And that was before the Bengals started looking good. And that was with them like hurriedly coming back to tie the game and not getting anything in overtime. Uh, Sorry, Eagles. We are starting with an F. Yeah. And I, as an Eagles fan, I also gave them an F. The, The expectation was high. 
And I know that the idea was that it's going to become like this neck and neck fight with the Cowboys for control of the division. And while to an extent that happened, uh, <laughs> there was also, you know, the neck and neck fight between all of the teams. And you would think with that going down, the Eagles stood the most to gain from that. And instead, there was nothing but disappointment. So I too gave them an F for expectations versus reality. Uh, next up, we have our coaching grade. And that's based off of, you know, were they making adjustments? Were they getting the most out of their players? How was the offense? How was the defense? Uh, I gave the Eagles a F as well on coaching. Part of that has to do with the Peterson-Wentz relationship and how untenable it became as the season continued. Wentz looked bad and he looked bad mechanically and it became to a point where people wanted Hertz before Hertz came in and when he came in it was kind of a where has this guy been because he actually looks good with what you're calling right now <laughs> and once you know led this team a few years ago with at least the same head coach and it just looked like everything was falling apart uh, on the coaching side this year. They didn't really have an offensive coordinator. And I feel like there was really not a consistent offensive system. Defensively, they were okay. You could say I'm harsh giving them an F because they did have a good defense. But I am giving the overall F, uh, especially with Peterson losing his job. So I gave them a D and I gave them a D if only because of Schwartz's defense. Uh, I felt like it kept us in football games that we probably shouldn't have been uh, really had any place in. It was consistently let down by our offense's inability to stay on the field and with football. And there were a couple of games where we really should have like just been blown out completely. Um, but you know the the defense kept us in it, and that is the only reason really that I am keeping us from a, a, a second straight F. Uh, next up, we have organizational stability. I'd like to call that the re relationship between the coach, the GM, the owner. Kind of, you know, do we see some public fighting in the media? Uh, Sean, I'm going to go ahead and let you share your grade first. Uh, sure. So I'm not just completely raining on the parade the whole time. <laughs> no, I, I gave them a D. And I think that, you know, we've we've talked about, you know, with, with Peterson getting fired and kind of that whole arrangement uh, with, you know, with Lurie and then with Howie. Uh, I think the Eagles, yeah, it's hard for me to give a uh, an F to a organization an organization that won the super bowl so recently because for you to build a super bowl winning team within the last five years it requires a lot that goes into it so i still think there's some residual understanding of what needed to be done and i still have a some faith in in howie um so i think looking back at this season it's you know it's hard for me to give them an outright F, but they were certainly bordering on it. 
and and that's where I went. It's like I did give them the F. I just don't see the the path. I don't see like you brought in Sirianni, who has no relationship with Wentz or any of these quarterbacks. You Schwartz is gone. Like we we lost the good coach that we had. Not that I'm an Eagles fan, but if you're an Eagles fan, you lost the best coach that was on the the coaching staff last year. I I just feel like the the stability isn't there. Uh, I'm not sure that Howie is the fit to build this again. You know, he brought in Peterson, and this might just be a, a my own pet peeve, but if you're going to have the GM coach combo when you're getting rid of one, you should get rid of both. I, I really feel like I would trust this more if I didn't feel like Sirianni had one or two years to try to save Roseman's job. I, I really feel like we could be talking about a whole new Eagles coaching staff in just a couple of years. And that's not stable. Don't you put that evil on me, Ricky Bobby. I hope I'm wrong, Sean. I hope I'm wrong. Uh, last but not least, we have roster strength. Uh, so in general, you're looking at who's signed to contracts, what the draft situation is this year, what, how strong do you really feel like the Eagles are going from this year to next year? Uh, obviously we haven't hit free agency or anything. So we're really kind of just looking at who is in for the 2021 season for sure. And where they're going. Um, I gave a B. Um, for I, I realize I kind of jumped the gun. I don't know if you're going to go good. for me first or not, but uh, I did end up giving him a B. And for me, the defense weighed a little bit more heavily. Uh, I still think that we have um, some pretty solid and promising talent. Uh, obviously, on the other side of the football, there are a lot of question marks on what is going to happen with Wentz. But presumably for me, if we get a pretty decent trade, which I mean... There's some obviously some pretty substantial rumors of who we're trying to move him uh, or what we're trying to move him for in regards to draft picks. Uh, we stand a lot to gain and a lot of opportunity for some roster improvements. Uh, and we pick really early in the draft. So to me, the based on what we're what we stand to gain, um, I give a B. If we don't move from Wentz, and there really isn't a whole lot gained from that, then I am going to knock this roster strength rate down um, under the assumption we really didn't capitalize and improve the roster the way that we needed to. And, and I think that's probably a little bit of where I'm at. I went ahead and gave it a C. I, Fletcher Cox is good. I really think that they have a good thing in Wayne Johnson. Uh, Brandon Brooks is there, Darius Slay is there, but when all of the people that I'm saying are 30 and up, it's not a good sign for your, how strong your roster is long-term. Uh, and you don't have a lot of the things that I would say I would like to see settled. Do you have a left tackle that you trust? No. no. Do you have a quarterback that you for sure want? No. Do you have a number one wide receiver? No, it's, there's too many no's on the offense for me to go above a C. And, 
and it, it kind of stinks, but that's maybe where we're at. Maybe there's a little homerism for me, and that's fine. But you know, uh, in terms of where this ended up, uh, the overall pretty much came in at a D minus. The the Eagles just they were not who we thought they were uh, when we went into the season, and whether it's coaching or organization or the roster. Uh, the holes were exposed. You don't go from being a division favorite and being expected to have nine and a half wins to winning only four games without having some huge stumbling blocks. No, that's true. Uh, let's move to the team that we would prefer to never talk about, the Dallas Cowboys. All right. For all four categories, we gave them an F. Let's <laughs> move on to the Giants. <laughs> Uh, I somewhat wish that that was the case. That would actually be kind of hilarious. Um, so I'll go ahead and start us off. Expectations versus reality. Uh, they also were expected to have nine and a half wins. They ended up with six. I I gave them a D. Uh, they were at least closer. And I think part of it is my expectations changed a little bit when Dak got hurt early in the year. And there was definitely points in the season where I didn't expect them to get to six and they did. So I didn't feel like it was a complete F, even though they definitely missed the mark. I feel like if this was uh, archery, they, they ended up hitting the target, but they were like way on the outside instead of completely blowing it. <laughs> I suppose that's fair. I give them an F. I mean, and to me, Dak going down had nothing to do with it. It's everything to do with how poor they were defensively for the vast majority of the season. Because even with Dak there, they were struggling. So I, I think that there was so much that kind of kept them out of the win column. And, you know, every single pundit and, you know, uh, analyst was like, oh, Cowboys are going to get double-digit wins. They're going to win the NFC East. They're going to do this. They're going to do that. Just like they, the same sort of, you know, uh, obsession that the media has with them every single season uh, was even stronger this year. And then they just simply fell flat on their face. It Maybe was, it's that my expectations, and uh, we had talked about this, we expected them to give up a ton of points. Yeah, We, we expected them to be in shootouts and to be struggling. That that reality was there for me. Yeah, <laughs> like, I guess that's fair. That's fair. Like we, But I mean, that's, that's, that's us actually out of all of the things, right? Out of all of the things that we predicted for 2020, 2021, I think that's the thing that we collectively nailed the hardest was saying that the Dallas Cowboys defense was going to be, uh, I don't want to say historically bad, but really, really, really not good. Really, 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 that's for sure. Uh, let's move over to coaching. Uh, I gave them a C, uh, mostly because of the defense. The defense coordinator got fired. They looked like a mess. I think that it was McCarthy's first year. I think that there was definitely some buy-in late in the year. And that I do think that they ended up improving even with Dalton back there and being in more games than I thought. From where they were probably end of October, I thought they were no chance 
the fact that they had a chance at being a potential division winner in week 17 kind of blows my mind. And so I, I give, I give a little bit of that to, that's where I give a little bit of this grade for coaching. It was, I'm not saying it was exceptional, but I do think that to say it at least hit an average feels about right to me. So I give him a D and I give him a D if only for Kellen Moore, uh, who I thought did an admirable job of dealing with the transition from, from Dak to Dalton. Uh, McCarthy very much likely lost them some football games uh, with some of his rather conservative play calling and very odd uh, decisions, especially in, you know, when you're on like you're 40 going through and just having some very, very weak and wimpy play calling. Uh, and the fact that, you know, I, I get that you are, haven't been historically known for running the football, but when you have one of the arguably on paper best running backs in the NFL and you make him, you put him in an offense where he looks this bad. It, yeah, it, it really knocked it down for me. I, I think that we're Cowboys fans are going to have to temper their expectations this next season. Uh, I, I, I was 100% right in that. I did not think he was going to uh, be this dominant coach that for some reason, all Cowboys fans expected they, they were getting. Well, let's move over to the two spots that we tend to agree on more. Uh, organizational stability. I gave it a C. That, like we said, they had to replace a defensive coordinator, so they're clearly having a little bit of churn at some spot on there. But they were able to keep Kellen Moore, which was a big win. Yeah, I agree. Uh, you know, they kept McCarthy. I think it would have been a mistake to fire him after this also- one COVID ridiculous year. At some point, I don't know that I ever really feel like the Cowboys organizational stability is ever an A because Jerry Jones is crazy. I but like a B is a is a hard cap. Yeah. B is B but, is is definitely a hard cap. But I I felt like a C felt about right for them here. No, I I I agree. And I mean, that's kind of how I felt about roster strength as well. Uh, I ended up giving them a B. You also gave them a B. Uh, you look at defensively, yes, they had some holes that really didn't end up getting filled and they suffered for it. Uh, but C.D. Lamb uh, on the other side of the ball turned out to be a fantastic pick, uh, which a lot of people expected he was. And I'm still salty that the Eagles didn't get him. And they should have, you know, Dak coming back in and he should by himself, you know, be at least worth one or two additional wins. And so there's a lot to build off of, I think definitely more so than what the Eagles have currently. So that does give them a bit of a leg up, uh, in my opinion. I will say if Dak doesn't come back, this instantly falls. Oh yeah, 100%. He, you know, he is the, the foundation, I think, of not just the offense, but of that entire organization's direction. And, you know, him not... Uh, him not being involved really, I, I just, I, I can't imagine it, but I really want to. Um, one person I just have to mention before we leave the Cowboys, because it was the, probably the only player that I felt really ended up impressing me as the season went on, on defense for the Cowboys was Trayvon Diggs. Trayvon Diggs 
he was their second round pick this past year. He's going to be there for a few more years for sure. I think that that is a great cornerback and we should only expect him to potentially do bigger and better things this coming year. I don't want to though. I know. Don't I don't either. Uh, let's go to, let's go to the giants. Uh, expectations versus reality. They were expected to get six wins. They got six wins. I gave them a, a nice average C for that because uh, they got a push. Uh, not not terribly interesting on that perspective for me. Sean, what did you have for that one? Um, I gave them a B, and I think that for me, um, I was yeah they were probably you know on paper expected to get six wins, but when it comes to the eye test, which a lot of fans really. I think value a bit more than just, you know, like total statistical like analysis. The Giants were not expected to be a very good football team. And there was a lot of momentum that they were riding, you know, later in the season on a potential playoff berth. And then, you know, the Eagles played the Washington placeholders and lo and behold, they did not get the playoffs. So for me, I think that they exceeded expectations to a certain extent. Um, but not, not by a whole heck of a lot. Uh, let's also go to coaching. I gave him a C there as well. I felt Joe Judge came in and was better at instilling what he wanted out of the team than I thought. And that's probably why I'm giving them a C. I don't know that I felt like he did above and beyond things with the offense, especially not the offense. <laughs> the defense looked pretty good, uh, but I, I feel like it just kind of felt like it landed as a average coaching performance, mm-hmm. but for a first year head coach, I didn't think that it was horrible. No, I also gave him a C pretty much for the same reasons. Uh, I know I was very hard on the guy early on. I thought he was probably one of the worst hires uh, out of any NFL team uh, during the prior season, but he did, he exceeded my expectations. I think he exceeded a lot of people's expectations and, you know, there were some growing pains, but, you know, the Giants do stand to gain quite a bit from, you know, uh, arguably one of the better hires we've seen out of the Belichick coaching tree in recent years. Uh, for organizational stability, uh, I'm continuing to give this a C <laughs> as I, it's his first year. I feel like we've just seen a lot of turnover the last couple of years uh, since the Coughlin era. Ben McAdoo was there for a couple of years. Pat Shermer was there a couple of years. All of it was bad. The Giants are not a team that's known for like a fast changeover. I also think Dave Gettleman is not a good GM. Yeah, as I say, I I gave him a D because Gettleman is still there. I, I think that in general, the ceiling is... So we'll talk about it in a second with roster strength, but they don't have the strongest roster in the division. Mm-mm. I don't know that we're going to see a lot of improvement from them next year, despite the fact that I think that judge is a good coach. So let's just jump into roster strength. Uh, I gave that a C as well. Uh, arguably one of their best defensive players is a free agent in Leonard Williams. Mm-hmm. They've said they want to bring him back. We don't know what that's going to cost, but when I look at who they have, invested in i just i don't know that i'm sold is daniel jones the answer Uh, i 
you could argue that I felt a lot better about Trubisky this past year than Daniel Jones. And that's saying a lot for someone who was a a very high draft pick and has been a starter for two years almost. Um, Now we're we're on the same. Barkley is good, but now I somewhat am concerned about his injury history. Mm -hmm. I don't feel like they have a good O-line still. I don't love any of their receivers too much. I like Sterling Shepard, but I'm not going to sit here and say that he's a world beater. And outside of Williams, I kind of look at that defense and go, do I like any of the linebackers particularly well? Do I like any of the corners particularly well? I mean, Bradbury was okay, but I, I don't feel like there's enough for me to be like, yeah, I'm putting my stamp of approval on this roster because Gettleman has so many meh spots on the roster. No, and th- th- he's had his hand in. Um, I mean, yeah, Shepard's fine. I think Darius Slayton's fine. Um, but, you know, there there are a lot of question marks right now. And, you know, yeah, Danny Dimes is, in my opinion, one of the biggest. I also gave them a C. Uh, they got the job done with a roster I think that a lot of people consider to be below average. And when I say got the job done, I mean, like I said, they exceeded expectations and were in the fight for the playoffs. But ultimately, these are the same personnel that caused them to misfire hard on multiple games that they needed to win if they wanted to make the playoffs. During that stretch where they had started to show improvement, they came out incredibly flat. Uh, Now, some of it was an offensive balance issue, um, but a lot of it was really on Daniel Jones' inability to move the ball consistently. So for me, I look at this as a team that needs to showcase a lot of improvement if the roster is to remain relatively similar. uh, And then they're going to need to really evaluate as to whether or not Daniel Jones is the right call long term. So I think a, I think a C is a fair grade for the roster strength heading into the offseason. I just realized we skipped the overall grade for the Cowboys. So the overall grade for the Cowboys oh, yeah, was a C minus. And for the Giants, it's probably not a surprise for me to say this. I have them as a C. I literally graded the Giants as an average team pretty much across the board. Yeah. They they were there's there's nothing that I'm like yeah, Giants, they're going to tear up the world next year. But there's nothing, also nothing that I'm like, the Giants are going to pick first in the 2022 NFL draft. Yeah, they're not, so, they're, in Houston, they're not in Texans territory. The, the, that's one thing they can be thinking about. <laughs> um, let's go to the, the team that won the division, uh, the Washington football team slash placeholders. Expectations versus reality. It was five and a half wins. They ended up with seven uh they also look good in the playoffs with henneke at quarterback who all of us were i still don't know if i'm saying his name right like like, (laughs) he came out of nowhere and played arguably one of the best games against todd bull's defense yeah it's true (laughs) uh who would have thought it's so i i gave them a a nice uh s the satisfactory they above the a grade uh for expectations yeah, we did we did the uh 
Um, so I realize we didn't actually explain how we're doing the letter yeah, grading and tiering. <laughs> so we, we did it. If you were familiar with like ranking like video game characters or something, we did that traditional tiering of, of S, A, B, C, D, and F. So um, A isn't the highest grade that you can get. An S is technically the highest grade that you can get. So there's that explanation a little. I, I wouldn't say it's necessarily late because this is the first time that it's been relevant. True. Uh, Sean, where were you at as far as that expectations versus reality? Um, I also gave them an S. And for me, this was a team that many expected to be one of the worst in the NFL. Uh, not just from a on-the-field performance, but from an everything that encompasses this team. They didn't have a name. They have one of the worst owners in the NFL. And they were expected to be in a division with two teams, the Eagles and Cowboys, who preseason were expected to be fighting neck and neck. And then people had the Giants and Washington pegged as two of the worst teams uh, in the NFL and specifically the worst teams by far preseason wise in the NFC. And then Washington came out and put the placeholders on top. So... I think they greatly exceeded expectations and should, you know, feel good about themselves because it wasn't even just a matter of it feeling fluky, right? This really did feel like a good football team. Absolutely. Uh, let's move over to coaching. Uh, we all know Rivera went through cancer. He did a whole lot. You could argue I'm potentially even being a little harsh with this grade, but I gave him a B. I don't know that I thought that they were outstanding coaches, but I felt like they were, hey, we're doing the best with what we've got. And, man, that is an exciting defense. Rivera is a defensive guy. I think he brought over some strong defensive minds. The fact that that defense looked as good as it did at times this year I think if their offense performed even at a average level at times or had any level of consistency, which you could argue that was injuries, you could argue a lot of things. I, I'm just going to say the offense held it back from being an A grade. I gave it a, a solid B. So I give it an A, and a lot of that was for me, you kind of hit some of the points, but I want to elaborate. So uh, what Ron Rivera accomplished this season should be looked at under the same lens as what, you know, his quarterback, uh, Alex Smith, was able to do. Really make him getting cancer treatments on the sidelines, like him going through and like that entire team was such a feel-good story, which is so very weird to say about Washington, but they, they legitimately were. Uh, Del Rio his defense was extraordinarily good, extraordinarily good. The guy is a terrible head coach, but he's a fantastic coordinator and he showed just how good he can be. I also think that offensively, Scott Turner is not bad. Uh, I think he was kind of dealt a rather raw hand with that Washington offense, how they had to have a almost like a rotating you know group of personnel at the helm um and they just they had to deal with a lot of adversity a lot of off the field drama at that position too 
And so I don't think that he's a terrible coordinator, but he's also not anything extraordinary. But for me, uh, Del Rio and Rivera took it from a B to an A. That's fair. Uh, going over to organizational stability. Uh, I know, again, it's a weird owner, but I gave it a, a B. I feel like Rivera's pretty much got his fingers on the pulse of everything. And I, I'm curious how the new GM is going to work. I know they brought in a GM. I would like to see more of how that operates. I also feel like in some ways, just being able to say right before week 17, you know what, we're cutting Haskins. We're not dealing with, hey, is Haskins coming back? All off season long. We're getting rid of him yeah, and we're okay with it. Um, I feel like it's going to make it a little bit more stable in Washington. And I just feel like because Rivera's essentially the face of the franchise, that that's why I gave it that, that nice B grade, even though I don't know what they're getting really at GM because it's just now coming in. So I gave them, I gave them a C and for me, there are two big reasons as to why. I do agree with you in that removing Haskins from the situation was a fantastic call. Ultimately, it doesn't matter how well he pans out potentially with another team. It's He was a problem right then and there and that the organization dealt with it appropriately. With a new GM, there are always question marks. So that's thing number one. Uh, and this is a volatile division, a volatile division, where if it's the wrong GM, then, you know, Washington could really miss out on a chance to capitalize on the momentum that they gained this past season. And two, they have the worst owner in the NFL. They have the worst owner in the NFL. I cannot justify giving them a any higher score as long as he has such an active presence in that organization uh, i also think that there's a there's still a lot of question marks for them you know in off the field drama the cheerleader story is still you know and, and the way that they yeah it's still starting the way that they treat people right there's a, you know, anytime you have that much off the field drama, it can bleed in to what you are doing on the field and how that preparation is handled. Those stories are distractions. Those stories end up causing player coach rifts. And I just, I, I do worry that, you know, for Washington fans, that as long as, as Snyder is still at the helm, you will never, ever win a Super Bowl. There's just um, too much baggage that goes into it. I do want to say, I know we talked about Jason Wright when he was hired. I've really enjoyed seeing him. Uh, he's taken like fan emails and like answered them. He's that. been really engaging uh, and transparent. Uh, and maybe that's part of me buying in a little bit because I've been given something that I can potentially buy into, even from a new team president. I don't think it's going to be what Jay Gruden said, where 
Snyder walks off the yacht and makes the pick. <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen in Washington anymore. And I think that Rivera kind of had that talk before he ever took the job and said, look, get out of here. <laughs> you, yeah, you can I be need, an I owner, to, but you're not a... I need to see it. I, think. I need to see it. Right? Fair. There's, there's not enough there for me just yet for me to feel that comfortable saying, yeah, this is, everything's being turned around. Yeah, I'm seeing progress, but I don't want to, you know, write anything off that's happened saying, you know what, this is all going to be corrected. Let's move over to roster strength. Uh, I gave it a B. There's part of me that says, really, Caleb, you, you only gave it a B. I, it's, it's a that's tough a just, one. That's a justifiable score. I mean, we both um, gave them, we both gave B's and I think we both here. Can I speak for you? Am I yeah, I'll let you go first. Cool? Okay, cool. Um, so I think that we both gave B's for very, very similar reasons. This is a defense that should help Washington repeat as division champions. That said, right. That said, there are so many question marks on offense that it's hard to look at this roster with a lot of confidence that they're going to drastically improve on their record next season. Uh, They have a lot of young talent on the defensive side of the ball. uh, But, you know, you, you can't continue to operate with a big fat question mark, you know, uh, behind center. You, You can't. So any, any, anything you wanted to add to that? I mean, I'll say this, and I think that it might potentially help us both for organizational stability and roster strength. New GM, go do what I said and go trade for Sam Darnold. That would potentially <laughs> give up your first round pick for Sam Darnold. Automatically upgrade at quarterback. I believe that it would be a, a big sign of trust and it would show, hey, there's a GM in here calling the shots. Yeah. Um, I I was just looking at some of the contracts they have. They have Landon Collins through 2025. He's a good safety. Kendall Fuller through 2024. Chase Young is through 2025. Montez Sweat is through 24. Gibson is through 24. McLaurin is through 23. They have a roster that should be together without a lot of hiccups for several years. Nice guy. Stay healthy. It's just a question of what else happens and what are you doing at quarterback? Because quarterback is that it's that important. It's the linchpin. Uh, Overall, when we looked at what these grades came in as, I would say that it came in as a solid B plus. Uh, Not, not quite an A minus, but it's very close to teetering that line. Uh, I think that we both feel like the football team is a team that has at this point the most known going about them into next season and is why we are probably if we were forced to pick today we might say Washington would win the division next year uh, no I don't I don't I don't agree I, don't, I, think you may, I think you may say that um but no if I if you asked me to pick a division winner I could tell you that it's anybody other than Washington because that's how the NFC East works is you don't True. repeat you don't. So uh, on paper, yes, Washington is, you know, uh, like I said, they're, they're primed for 
for another repeat, but I really don't think they improved too much on their current win win loss record. And I think that in all honesty, this is probably the Cowboys division to lose next season. That's gross. It is. I the fact that I just said that kind of made me throw up in my mouth just a little bit. But on paper, it makes the most sense that, you know, if I had to pick a team that was right up there, uh, you know, a, a, a Dak led Dallas Cowboys, uh, you know, uh, maybe, maybe, you know, a, a nice, uh, a nice eight and eight, uh, that, that Dallas record gets the job done. Wins on the division. I, I we need to end this episode before Sir Sean says anything else gross. I know. Uh, so just to wrap it up, a couple of, of things we want to ask, uh, we put it out there last week and we put it out there again. Please give us a five-star review. Uh, if you listen to podcasts at a specific spot, they give you a chance to do a rating. Go ahead and do it there. We're asking for Apple Podcasts just because that's one of the spots we get our most listeners from. So we would appreciate it if you can give us a five-star review there. Also, it's Tell a Friend February. So make sure that you tell a friend about the podcast uh, they say that more people are likely to listen to a podcast if they hear about it from one of their friends. So we are imploring you to share Brody sports talk with people, not for Valentine's day, as I suggested last week, but <laughs> just share it with them uh, because you care. We share because we care. And I appreciate all of you for listening to another episode. Uh, I want to thank Sean for uh, being available and going over these random grades with us this week for, for, for actually, you know, for, uh, for attending being, being a, a co-host as opposed to a, a bystander. And uh, I know that the, the NFL season is over, but the NFL talk never rests. So please remember to join us next week for more Brody sports talk, new episodes every Wednesday. Uh, my name's Caleb and he's Sean and we're signing out later. <laughs>